0: Southern Vanguard Radio. This is DJ John Doe, and to the left of me is my man Eddie South Memphis Meeks.
1: Cappuccino. Big Meeks,
0: Big
2: Meeks, Big Meeks. What up? What up?
0: How are you, my friend? I'm good, homie. You all right? Uh, I'm doing well. Now that More I got grooving, now, right? now that I got the splendor out of my four year old's thumb, <laughs> I think we're, uh, I think we're doing all right. So. Yeah, man, uh, uh doing doing pretty well. Uh this is a little unusual cuz usually we record uh you know our interview sessions and the mix show on Sunday nights. Uh but but next week I'm actually going to uh, uh if if everything goes well and you know kids don't get sick, you know God knows what happens, we'll be on the beach next week for spring break. That's what I'm talking so, about. So uh so yeah, so we're, we're doing a little pre-recording uh actually here on Tuesday night. Yeah. And uh you know we got to keep giving you all that work got so to, man. We, we we do uh we we do more than we uh than we normally have to during the week to keep uh to keep giving you all that raw every week
2: 100% dry yes, shit
0: How about you man
2: Oh man I'm uh, I'm doing a little bit of uh same thing you are doing uh we might not actually make it to the beach next week but uh Okay Uncle Sam uh came through
0: Oh, like he did!
2: buster oh nice. All Yesterday, right. wasn't even expecting that. That's
0: always good to hear.
2: At least we got the state portion, so maybe that ain't Uncle Sam. Maybe that's more like Cousin Sam. <laughs> uh, but we we got half of it. You know what I'm saying? So uh, when that other half kick in, watch out! Goddamn it! <laughs> Feel like putting some <laughs> rims on the van? <laughs> Got that? Nah, kid. But uh, but now nah, we looking at uh, we looking at taking a girl somewhere nice, ah, uh, nice. after school is out. Good man. Good. Yeah, Good yeah, to yeah, hear. Yeah. So all right. Well, let's get know.
0: down. Let's get down to biz. Uh, for, for those of you that are listening to this uh, interview session for the first time, don't forget that we have a mix show that drops every Tuesday. So we actually drop twice a week. So you get a ninety-minute mix show on Tuesdays, like it always should be done. Uh, cut up, sliced up. Meeks and I popping shit, just having a good time. Uh, all the latest and greatest, uh, you know, hip hop joints. And then on Thursday we have an interview session. So make sure you check out uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, you know, brand new content every week. Obviously, you can listen whenever you'd like on iTunes, SoundCloud, Mixcloud, and Stitcher Radio. So with that, the guest we have on the phone with us tonight, yeah, I am extremely extremely excited about
2: man i got for, a couple of things i need to know uh, man. For,
0: for on 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 a number of levels and a number of fronts so without further ado i need to send, send a big shout out to my man coop who helped helped us hook this up dj eclipse
2: that's what's up dj eclipse yo good evening what's the deal y'all chilling man you all right Yes, sir.
0: Right, man. Good. So, so Eclipse, did you have to get any splinters out of uh, out of thumbs or anything like that tonight? Before, uh, <laughs> but before you hopped on the phone or no?
3: It, it wasn't splinters, but it was having to put eye drops in my four and a half year old eyes. Oh, I okay. Not go over too well.
2: Okay,
0: all damn, right. I think that's
2: all worse right. than a splinter, right? <laughs> I think so. Man. I think I trumped you. <laughs> I couldn't
0: imagine. I don't know. I almost caught a foot in my head because my uh, my wife was holding down my four year old so I so I could stabilize his thumb so I could get the damn right. splinter.
3: It's <laughs> yeah, definitely a challenge. Crazy.
0: <laughs> so, Eclipse, man, how are you, sir?
3: Everything's good. Uh, you know, I'm 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 doing well. I'm happy. Uh, family's good. You know, yeah, everything's going along according to plan. So can't Very complain. good.
0: So March was a pretty big month month uh month for you with the halftime show wrapping up that big uh that big eighteen year run. How how are things going sure. since then?
3: How it's um, you know, it, everything's going good. I mean I, you know, I, I uh it's funny because after, you know, the last show, um, every Wednesday now, it's just like I'm sitting down to how it's like <laughs> watching TV, I'm like, this is, this is great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I have all this free time now. Oh, shit. Okay. But um, it's, it's not even just, the, just. it's funny because it's not even just a Wednesday night. A lot of people don't understand or realize how much work actually goes into doing a show, um, especially one that's on FM. Right. So it's not even as easy as just like, you know, throwing music on. It's like I have to clean everything first. So right. I would spend hours upon hours of first of listening to music and then going back over and cleaning it. To make wow. sure it was, you know, fit for the radio. So that, that preparation along with, you know, the, the New York City Transit Authority oh, commute on the subway, which could take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half, but depending on what time of the night it is you're coming home, uh, along with a two and a half hour radio show, you're talking about a good eight, nine, ten hours worth of investment, you know, right. into the show, the travel, the cleaning up the music, going to music. So it's like, it's like almost getting a day off from work now a week. That I have to myself, so it's man. like right. I, I definitely appreciate that. You know,
0: that's what's absolutely up. yeah. I, I don't think people realize um, a lot. What, what 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 it means to actually sit down and have to clean up joints, right? Because and nobody you does know, cleans and
2: nobody does cleans, anymore. Nobody does cleans anymore.
0: That's why you have to do it. Crazy,
2: exactly.
3: Yeah,
0: it's wild. Having having twelve inches in vinyl was you know was a single sure. were, a lot, were a lot easier, and that just
3: also shows you the changing of the guard of like just you know also. Part of the reason, you know, why I even stopped doing the show is just because it's just, it's not, it's not what it used to be. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? It's like, and and the fact, like you just said, like no one does clean burdens anymore because there's no outlets on FM to play this kind of music. Right. right. You know, so it's like everything now is internet driven or, um, you know, satellite or podcasts or it's just like everything lives outside of FM now for for our scene. Wow.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry, Mix. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, you good. Here, no, sorry. I was just gonna
3: ask you to
2: kinda um expound on that a little bit, you know, change another guard, um, nobody does mm-hmm. cleans anymore. Like um like like college radio in general is kind of uh on its way out, uh, for lack of a better term. Could you kinda speak mm-hmm. can you kinda speak to um what what is what, what, what do you see like really different in these days and times also uh could you kind of give anybody like any any young cats any um foresight into what it what it does take to operate a a a college radio operate on college radio what what type of uh effort goes into making that show happen on a weekly basis
3: well just going back to your first part of the question um you know, I started. I started this show halftime in '98. But mm-hmm. even prior to that, you know, I was a fill-in on um, Stretch and Bobbito's show. I was okay. a fill-in on uh, Mr. Mayhem and Martin Moore's show. So it's so like I've been on New York college radio since probably like I don't know '93 or '94, okay. yeah. um, doing guest spots and stuff like that until '98 when we did our own show. So the thing, you know, in the early '90s to mid '90s. College radio was, was the first line of, of, of defense of how you got this music out there because commercial radio wasn't playing any of these type artists. It was all, you know, the, the Jay Zs and, and you know and and the, the Biggies and the Nas's and all these big artists had to come through college radio because they didn't have access to get up on commercial radio. Okay. So college radio in the in, in the nineties was getting everything. You know, we were getting all the groups, Fuji's, you know, all these groups would come through, um, and make an appearance because they're, they're trying to break a record. They're trying to get their name out there. Now, once you had stations like a, like a hot 97 do around, uh, I think it was around 93, 94 when they put Lex on and, and he started playing on his mix shows, basically, you know, the new hot hip hop that was also popping in the club. So you'd hear Onyx, you'd hear like maybe a G rap remix and, right you hear all these dope records that were also being played on college radio. So he kind of brought that to the mainstream and it was doing so well that they, they started changing their format up to now you were hearing mob beats and Wu-Tang album cuts during the day, Mm, which was unheard of. Mm -hmm. So once all that started happening and it kind of became, you know, the new place for artists to go to, that already started hurting college radio because now the artists didn't feel like they had to come to college first. They, they right. were like, well, I'm going to go right to the big guys first.
1: Yeah. They would have the set, you
3: know, yeah. yeah. They would have their sights like, set on like the, the Hot sevens and Power 5s and all that stuff. So that was like the first thing where it was kind of like hurting us that we were losing some of the, the type of artists that we were getting at one point. Um, but being that we also, you know, myself and some others and Fat Beats, you know, we, we kind of helped mold this New York independent scene that really came about in like 95, 96. So that was basically kind of like our direction where we just started focusing more on that sound, especially because the commercial sounds had changed a lot. You know, you didn't have Onyx and Tribe and Baylor and, yeah. you know, Pete Rock and CL Smooth and Gangstar doing commercial radio anymore. Now the commercial radio was like everything that was coming out on bad boy, you know, everything that was, everything that was now being polished, and being like, you know, radio friendly records, um, the sound was changing. So I think around 95, 96 is also when, you know, a lot of us started kind of veering off more to the underground independent scene because we felt that was where the creativeness still lingered. Okay. So then we started focusing on that scene and started playing those kind of records and, you know, breaking artists like, you know, Company Flow and Arsness and Natural Elements and Nonfiction and Juggernauts and, you know, DJs like the X-Men and, and um, um, the Allies and the right. Platoon. And we just started creating a scene for ourselves and, and being like, you know what, like, it's, it's not about commercial radio and major labels. It's about us taking into our own hands our own destinies and putting out our own music and what we feel is good. So so that was like the changing of what college radio started out as and then what it started becoming. Now here we are, 18, 19, 20 years later from that time, and you have satellite radio, you have the internet, you have the podcast, you have YouTube, you have all these, these outlets that anyone can now start their own show. Right. And then it's just a matter of how popular you can make the show, depending on how good you are and how your social networking skills are. You know, that's how most artists are getting broke nowadays, is via YouTube and via online. It's, like, it's not about how it once was for us coming up in the nineties. So that's why I say radio doesn't mean what it used to mean, because we are not as important in 2016 as we were in 98. Right. That's the changing, changing the guard now means that like, you don't need us as much as you once did. You can do it on your own now. Okay. So that kind of answers that side of things. Now, the other side of things about operating a show really depends on, you know, on how good you want your show to be. Cause, cause like, uh, historically, college radio is, is there not so much for the music as much as it is for the students to have an outlet to try their hand at radio at broadcasting to see if that's the direction they want to go in, 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 in their life. Right. So, you know, this, this, the school itself, I'm sure although it, it wants a good show. It's, it's not so much. They just want to make sure that their candidates are, uh, semi okay. What they're putting on. And then, you know, they have it for a couple of years, you know, the top Four years to see if it's something that they want to go into further on in their career. Okay. Now, those of us that actually in hip hop that came up on radio shows, like, you know, I mean, there's Hank Love and DNA, there was Awesome Two, there was all these underground shows that didn't live on commercial radio that were on like WNWK. There was um Briz and Steve on uh, BAU, there's uh Jay Smooth and G Man Underground Railroad on BAI. Mm-hmm. So there was yeah. all these shows that lived. You know, uh, uh, on these college, you know, underground shows, stretching by Beto, you know, Megan and Riz, NYU, KCR. So that, to me, was like, along with those shows and the commercial shows, like Fred Alert and and Molly, Magic, all those, those molded us into what radio mix shows should sound like. Right. So for yeah. me, it wasn't about just getting on the. It wasn't even about me getting on the air. It was about me getting on the air so I can let people know about this music. And so I'm doing it in the style of what I've learned, which is, you know, mixing, cutting, scratching, dope, you know, keeping it tight. And then also having great guests, freestyle sessions, you know, stuff of that nature that makes every radio show almost as as if it's its own album. So for me, putting on a college radio show, it was really no different than what you would hear um, on a commercial show as far as how the quality should be. Right. Um, Because a lot of times people think about, I've had guests that come up to me on shows that I didn't know. And after the interview was over, they'd be like, wow, like I didn't expect this from a college show. It's like, because I'm not doing a college show. I just, I just happen to be on college radio. I'm doing a great hip hop show. I'm doing a real show. Exactly. So you're going to get what you're going to get, you know, from my angle. But there are a lot of people that just, you know, a lot of students that don't don't really care so much about the culture end of the things. They just yeah. want to like get their feet wet and try it. Yeah. yeah. So there's different angles on uh, like what it takes to put the show on. It really depends on kind of what your angle is and what you want to do with life. For me, again, it was like, I have a lot of friends that do, that do uh, radio that are DJs on radio and that's their only thing. You know, they live to do radio Monday through Friday on commercial stations. Right. I, I never considered myself a radio DJ. I'm a hip hop DJ that happened to do radio to help express this music that needs to be out there. The same way when I worked at Fappy, it was to help express this music that needs to be out there. The same way when I do Rocksteady Crew Anniversary, it's to express the music that's out there. Everything I do is is for me to help be a backbone to propel the music that, that we love, whether it's the OG stuff or whether it's new stuff, just to let people know there is tons of great music out there and for me to do my my half of, of the fight to, to put it out there and let people know it's there. So that kind of, like, should give you an answer. for Yeah, yeah. yeah that covered the gambit, man. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> uh, you,
0: you know what's interesting is I've actually never thought about this before, um, but, uh, you know, I did uh, college radio for about, oh, gosh, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. So from 95, <clears throat> 95 through about, uh, I guess when I moved to Atlanta, which was 2000 or so, so five or six years, but I never really thought about it until you just said it, but I, I don't know of, and I hate to segment, segment this into a genre, but I, I don't know of, of, of many, um, genres or movements or culture, whatever, whatever you, you want to call it that actually took mm-hmm. college radio and kind of flipped it on its end like hip hop did. You know what I mean? Like, I I can't really think of, you know, um, I mean, and I'm sure there are some, maybe it's just because I'm not either, you know, into the music or I'm just not aware, but I mean, the the hip hop, uh, you know, kind of took college radio and, you know, really turned it into something, you know, original and unique. I, I can't think of anything. I can't think of like, you know, all those shows you just mentioned, Eclipse, I can't think of another genre that's really kind of done that and took a platform and kind of flipped it up on its end like that.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's also harder for us to call it out because if we don't listen to other genres, we're not as as aware. But, you know, again, being that back then, it's like that was the only place you could go to hear the music. You know, I mean, you only had like, even on commercial radio, like, you know, you had Red and Molly on the weekends, but that was Mm -hmm. like, you know, two hours on a on a Friday or a Saturday night. And so it's like Monday through Thursday and <laughs> Sunday through Thursday you had nothing. Yeah. Right, so right, the yeah. only place to hear this stuff was to go to these kind of shows, these kind of college stations, you know? And, and so, you know, even before before I even came to New York, I mean I'm originally from Rhode Island mm-hmm. and, you know, the same thing. Like I used to be I, I was like, you know, I just turned a teenager and I'm 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 listening on I, I slept with the radio by my bed and I would have the headphones on and I listen to, to BRU, I listen to, um, D O M and I would just listen to these, these, these mix shows and I just tape whatever was new hip hop wise. And back then it was mostly like, you know, whatever the latest like sugar Hill records were, um, you know, some independent stuff, you know, death jam was like just coming of age, you know, entertainment was around. So it wasn't as much, uh, as much, you know, uh, quantity as it is nowadays, but you know, you start hearing the same songs, you know, and you start to put a, uh, uh, the, the music to the face when you see the record in store and, and oh, will have to name that song I heard so it was like that was our only outlet was the radio and the right. record stores that was the only places we were hearing hip hop outside right. of the streets you know? right
0: right, yeah very true and that's not the case mm-hmm. today that's for sure no
3: nah, not at all you turn <laughs> on the TV and like every commercial yeah. has it, in it. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous yeah,
1: yeah
0: so um so clip speaking of rhode island you you also spent some time down south when you were young as well right were yep. you, okay sure thing. can you can you tell us a little bit about, a little bit about that
2: and hold up hold up. before yep. we go there talk to me about Hello. rhode island i know i only know one person <laughs> yeah, in my life who. from rhode <laughs> island so you you <laughs> yeah. um what, what we have here is you know you were born in providence you were you right. born and
3: raised Yes. Yeah. I okay. left, I left Providence when I was 15. I mean, Rhode Island is the smallest state, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you're not going to find many people from Rhode Island. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. But I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, Rhode Island's only, it's three hours North of, of uh, New York. Okay. So, you know, we weren't, we weren't too far removed from, you know, from what we, what we were getting out of New York. Um, and we had, we had our own local scene, you know, there was, there was cats that were older than me that were doing stuff locally that, um, I didn't even realize were local. I thought they were, you know, from New York making records. Cause I heard their songs on the radio and then come to find out, I ended up going to school with them. Wow. But he told me to do this group, uh, the magical four, you know, oh, I, I was a freshman and, uh, you know, like there was two brothers, um, Mr. G and, um, Al shell. And like, one of them was like a sophomore. one was, a, uh, well, one was, a, um, no, one was a junior. and one was a senior. So, um, they were like, you know, already established now like, wow so these are the dudes that are making this music and they're here. i'm going to school with them it's crazy right, right. so i kind of befriended them and they kind of took me under their wing where i just was like a fly on the wall and i would just study and learn and, and so i left rhode island in uh 85 my family moved down south to south carolina columbia Wow. and so i had just i had been collecting records since 80 so from like 80 to 85 i was just collecting records around 80 84, I started buying DJ equipment. I knew I was going to be a DJ. Mm. I started buying equipment in 84. Uh, it wasn't until 85 though, that, it, that I had a full setup. So when I first moved down to South Carolina, I, I, I had my DJ set up. I was still wet behind the ears. Um, but the good thing. But you was a man, know, though, right? Was, you was the man when so, you got to Columbia. That's right? what I'm saying. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like, but you, you all know how it goes. When you come from up north to go down south, you're ahead of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> so on, 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 on a number
0: yeah. of levels. On a number of levels yeah. in front. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: So it, it really helped propel me. You know, especially, honestly, you know, look, look, being a white. And especially during that time in 1985, <laughs> yeah. being white into hip hop in South Carolina, yeah, which yeah. is there's, there's black on one side and there's white on the other, yeah. There's nothing in between. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so I stood out like a sore thumb. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm walking around uh, high school and like. Puma sweatsuits uh, with like my name belt buckle hanging down my side uh, of my leg and like you know, like the basketball team is looking at my spot belts, like, yo, where did you get those? And like, you know, so like it was just it was just that that helped nice. put me out there where everyone was just like, yo, this kid is is crazy. And nice. so once they were seeing me DJ it was just like, oh, like you know, there's a white kid DJing, so it's like obviously I had to deal with that for several years about, oh, you're good for a white kid. Yeah, like, uh, now yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Period. You know what yeah, I'm yeah. Saying? yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so I was gonna ask yeah. you about culture shock, culture shock, but it
3: sound like you brought the culture with you. So <laughs> no, I mean, it was, it's it's still. I mean, I did bring a lot with me, but yo, I mean, I, I, that that experience is something I'll never forget because again, like I said, it helped propel me, but at the same time, it was it was an eye opener. Um, of of how stagnant, you know, things are down South. You know, it's like, um, it's, I would, I would have friends after I, you know, obviously after I lived there for a while, I made friends and then like, I would start going up to New York. I think around 88, I started taking trips back up North and um, coming up to New York and I got to tell people I'm going to New York and they look at me like, you're going to New York. It's dangerous <laughs> up there. And it's just like, like, it's like people just, they live on their block and they don't know yeah, more than yeah, the block. And, and yeah. it's, it's unfortunate that people don't get to experience a lot of the world. Yeah, um, true. Even a lot of the, just, just a lot of the States, you know what I'm saying? To get out of the world, but just get out of your state, get out of yeah. your city. Yeah, the other absolutely. Now, uh, except, did you so, have a, um, yeah. did,
0: what was your family, uh, uh, musically inclined, you know, was your mother or father into music or kind of, you know, um, Push you along, uh, you know, with your interest in music or no?
3: Well, uh, not musically inclined as far as like instruments go, but my mom had a huge record collection. Okay. So she was always playing like, you know, um, Bob Marley, anything on Motown, Marvin Gaye. um, She was playing James Brown. She had like all the records. So that was constantly being played you know, on her end. Meanwhile, during that time, like I'm listening to like Casey some like top 40, you know what I'm saying? So like, I'm just listening to like Hall and Oates and right. Billy Squire and oh, like, whatever, yeah. like top 40 music was. I'm just listening to that. Um, so I think it was a combination of like just liking music and just, you know, okay. also not even just liking music, but like knowing, um, knowing the good from the bad, like even with the pop stuff, it was just like, okay, this has a good groove to it. This is better than this one. And then, you know, once, you know, like Rabbit the Light came out, it was just like, Holy shit, like what is this? Right. But you know? right. like, that was that was the first record I bought. And then from that point on, it was like I was just buying everything that came out on like, you know, Profile, Sugar Hill, Enjoy and all these labels. And so that that really, you know, yeah. uh set set the pace. And I definitely have to say my mom's collection of like James Brown and all that stuff was definitely had heavily influenced being that a lot of that stuff was, was replaying their, that music and sampling it, you
0: know? Yeah, absolutely. So tell tell us about running into T Ray, man. I want to hear this story. I've, I've read it in a few interviews, but I mean, what, mm-hmm. what what a what a like freak chance that you would run into this guy, and you guys would kind of go down this,
3: you know, well, the, this hip hop path it, together. It, it, again, it's just it's that's the South, you know. When you're when you're down South, and when you're, I mean, look at what we do. I mean, we're also look at not just hip hop as we know it; it is very different than the hip hop that lives down South you know what I'm saying right. especially in Atlanta especially in South Carolina back then Miami base was the king oh, for man. down south yes sir so yes, that was, was that where everyone was bumping all the cars they all you know and I had and I've had it all because I lived there so I had to buy it all and I made mixtapes and all that stuff but that was what I did to to please the people but at the same time I was like nah but you need to hear this dude nod. Nah, he's dope you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. I, I would try to you know put people up on stuff but I worked at a record store down there So I was doing my part to try to, um, you know, expose people to stuff, also giving them what they wanted to hear. So being that, you know, there was a small collective of us that really catered to that hip hop, you know, Northeast sound, you know, people, the word gets around. And so what happened was I Mm -hmm. was actually, um, I mean, again, I got there in 85, I guess around 89, I think it was, I started working at this record store down there called sound familiar. And, um, people knew I worked there cause I was, uh, I was, I was doing all the parties. I mean, every party I, in 89, I was 19. I wasn't even old enough to be in some of the clubs I was DJing in. I was DJing in like, clubs that were like 21 and over or 23 and over.
1: Yeah.
3: And, uh, I was doing all the all fraternity parties, all of, you know, the skating rink stuff. Um, just anything that happened, I was doing it at one point or another. So my name was already around and then I started working at the store and I was also for a short stint doing uh commercial radio. I was doing a mix show on, um, one 1.3, the big DM. Oh, okay. uh, I, did, I did that for like two months, uh, until the, the PD that brought me in got fired and they got rid of like anyone that came in on new Tim. Um, okay. so that, so that happened for that. So anyway, so then I'm at the store and then one day, um, this guy comes in and he's uh, he's like, hey, my name's Mike from the House Rockers. And I'm like, the House Rockers, like MC Rel on the House Rockers? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm originally from Philly, um, but I live down here now. And he's like, um, he's like, i got a friend that wants to meet you. He's like, uh, this dude named Todd Ray. Right. And he's, I'm like, I've never heard of him. He's like, well, he's like, you heard of the white boys. I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard of the white boys. He's like, well, he's one of the white boys. I'm like, oh, what? I like they're, they're down here. He's like, yeah, they live, they live down here. So I didn't know that. So I'm like, all right, so yeah, let's let's meet up, you know. So um, he set up the meeting. And then the next time T-Ray came to the store and he, uh, you know, introduced himself and we just started kicking it. You know, we just started talking. And, you know, if anyone knows T-Ray, T-Ray is like a salesman. I mean, he has so much passion for whatever (laughs) his vision is. That like he makes you he, you buy right into it. So it's like, I could <laughs> see that this kid was hungry. That this kid was like about it. And so I was like, "Yo, let's work." Right. And so I don't remember if it was the first time he came, but like if it wasn't the first, it was damn sure the second time he came. He picked me up because he lived in Kershaw, which was like forty-five minutes outside of Columbia. Okay. And, and like if Columbia was south, and <laughs> Kershaw was like the sticks woods. Yeah. 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 So we, we, we drive to his house in Kershaw and, um, he had this, where he lived, him and his, his uh, at the time, his girl, um, it was a small, I mean, I can't even say small, like small house that like, it's literally, it's like, if I took three steps in the front door, I was uh, walking out the back door, but somehow it had like four rooms in it, but they were like four shoe boxes. <laughs> so what we did was I brought some records with me, and and he he already had records there. So we, I got to his place, and he had like a little setup, you know, with his sequencer and sampler. He had the Casio FC1, you um, know, turntable, you know, and he had he had records. Like I have records, and he had probably at that particular time as many records as I had, but in samples. Yeah, like, he's he did many hip records at all. He had yeah. all sample stuff, all yeah, originals. Yeah. So we were like, we would just like sit there and listen to records from the time the, the sun was out until the time it, it, it was, the moon came out. And we would just listen to records and he had no air conditioning and we were in the <laughs> south and it was summertime and we were, we stripped down to our boxes and we're sitting there working <laughs> on music. Sample and stuff, and we would just we just we just go through beats. Wow! And, um, now, clips are you, like, you are, know,
0: are you bugging what? out? Are you bugging out like when you meet this guy and and, and you go to you go to his house and you see all this shit or was it just? Uh,
3: um. Well, or not, or no, not in the sense of not not to like the degree that you would think because again, okay. like right. to me, like keep in mind, like he his name at that particular time didn't mean anything you know what I'm saying it's like he he came from the group the white boys which I was familiar with the white boys I had their record you know on Tim Pan Apple I knew like you know there was one joint on the album that Molly produced which I used to play so I was familiar with them but you know they weren't big in hip-hop like we were like looked up to them so it was more or less like It was just. It was. It was like we were friends. You know, we we bonded, and it was more like. It wasn't like I was like looking at him like I can't believe this is happening. It Was more like this is dope that like there's someone that's into it like I am, and we were just you know building, and so yeah, that's more of what I meant.
0: Yeah that's that's more huh? uh, that's more of what I went uh, uh, okay. what I, what
3: what I meant yeah. so
0: it, it was just, it was just dope to like you know be be in oh, Colombia sure. and you know for like sure. uh, you know I've got an A like here basically you know
3: most definitely most yeah. definitely and and then so like you know we would just work on stuff and then um you know usually I would stay over until we get more work done and then what happened was after a, a few sessions you know T T had the the bug to rhyme again you know cuz that was his, his his calling he was an MC so he was just like it's like, let's work on a demo, and then I'm gonna go to New York and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna shop a demo. I'm gonna try to get a deal again from a guy. So, you know, me and him, we went through all the beats we had done and we, we narrowed it down to three beats. And then, you know, he wrote three songs, and I helped him write like a few lines here and there. And um, we recorded three demos. And then he went up to New York to try to get a deal. And he went from label to label to label, and, you know, nothing really came out of it except at Big Beat, they liked the production. Hmm. And so yeah. what happened was they were like, well, you know, we're not too crazy about the, the MC portion of it, but would you be down and doing some beats for us? So he was like, hell yeah. So like he stayed there mm-hmm. and um, he started doing tracks. And and, yeah. and like he dashed that one thing led to another and he started doing stuff for the artifacts and yeah. he started doing stuff for for SCP. p you know, the artists that were actually on um, Big Beat. And then he started Classics. being in the right circles, you yeah, know, doing classic stuff to finesse, fact. doing
0: stuff to search, you know. Yeah, that's dope. That's Ill, dope, and that is crazy. That's such a wild yeah. story. You, you, yeah. you, you ever go? You, you ever find yourself in any precarious uh, situations on a on a on a digging excursion with T Ray in South Carolina or anywhere in the South?
3: Or um, there, there,
0: there's always I'll... usually some crazy digging stories somewhere. I've heard some yeah. some wild ones with T Ray before.
3: Not, I can't. I can't think of um, okay. anything that okay. we did together. I don't even think we really went digging a lot. Honestly, I think it was more oh, really? so us kind of going through what we already had um, and just kind of like seeing gotcha. like you know how much stuff we could pull from it. Okay. Gotcha.
0: So was was T Ray getting that uh kind of getting that uh that endorsement and that that uh you know that that production deal up in New York? Kind of what pushed you to head up there? Um, as um, well, or make that, yeah, move, yes, or? and
3: no. Because my thing is, I, uh, uh, aside from the, because I have a whole other half of the story aside from T Rex, because obviously I was already down there doing music and I had my clique, which was we had a posse called uh, the Motivators and it was uh, spearheaded by my man, the Mighty Maestro. Now, Maestro, um, he had already gone up, so he had, he kind of did the same thing. He was like, I'm gonna go up to New York, I'm gonna. I'm gonna get a deal, I'm gonna do something. And so he took some demos that he had done and he went to New York and he ended up getting a deal at tough City. And so what happened was they put out um a couple records on him as the Mighty Maestro, but then his production was starting to get a little bit popping. So he was actually doing stuff for like Rockham Shabazz. Um, um he was doing like he did like um some Alibaski stuff and flavor unit. Um, nice. So he was, he was kind of in the mix of like what tough city was doing. So he was, you know, so, so he was up there. So I would actually kind of like, when I started going to New York, I would, I would go and see him. And like, you know, he was my kind of like into New York at the time to be like, see what was going on. So gotcha. He was already kind of doing something. And then what happened was eventually, you know, times got tough you know with tough city and stuff like that. And so he ended up coming back down South. And what happened was me and him started bonding on trying to like put out a couple of artists. We had, um, the, um, uh, this kid Zigzag. And we had um, my man Ness, Ness Boogie, um, who at that time was going by Kid and So we were we were working with them, doing working on demos. And now this was going on at the same time. I'm meeting T-Ray. Oh, okay. So now what happened was um, we started formulating the the zigzag stuff, and we had an albums worth material together. Mo- uh, Maestro produced most of it. I think I did like maybe two or three songs, and there's a couple songs we kind of did together, and then. They went up, Maestro and uh, this guy Mike, who was managing the project, went up to New York and shopped it around and you know, had a little bit of interest here and there and actually ended up getting an offer from Priority Records. Hmm. Ah, so okay. at that now at this time, okay, so they come back and they say they have a deal from priority to zigzag. Now by this time, T Ray's already making a name for himself, he's doing his thing, um, and he just produced half of Search's solo album. Right now I know all this because T-Ray sends me the songs as soon as they're recording. So I'm, I'm sitting on all this music, like, you know, months and months and months before ah, it's released. Nice. So, so T-Ray comes down, I'm, I'm sorry, Search comes down to the record store on a promotional run right when um, the only thing he had out was the Here It Comes single. And, um, you know, he comes to the record store and before I even say what's up to him, I, I, I just, um, I played uh, his first record was uh, called Melissa. On yeah. Warlock records from like 85, I think it was. Right. And so, um, when he, as he's looking through a store, walking around, I put the record on. <laughs> and I, and I watch dumb. him walk and fall to his knees on the floor <laughs> and start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so and then he gets up and he comes over to me. And then, you know, I introduce myself and we start talking. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, my, my man T Ray. And he's like, oh, you know Todd. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I was like, actually, you know, and I tell him the whole story. So he was like, yo, I'd love to hear, you know, what you were working on. And so we went out to, the, to his car uh, and I sat in his car and played him like, I don't know, a tape worth of beats. And yeah. he was just like, I like all these tracks. He's like, yo, how would you feel about, you know, like coming up to New York and, and you know, working with me? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so wow. that, that, that was my end. Here's the thing for me. I've never been one to to jump off the airplane without a parachute. So it's like for me anytime gotcha. I, I I did something, I had to have a plan, and so I always knew I was going to be up in New York, but it wasn't i didn't I never rushed it because it was for me it was like it would be when the timing was right, and right, this yeah. was when the timing was right so now he searches inviting me up to New York um to work with him, and at the same time, my store and Mike come back with the deal from priority to zigzag, so it's like now I'm kind of like caught with a dilemma of do I stay uh. and work on the zigzag project or do i go up to new york with search and so i was like you know what i was like you guys finish this Zigzag project you know take it from here i'm just going to go up there and work with search because i believe that that's going to be better for me in the long run wow right and, okay. and and that's what i did and that was that was how i got back up north and got to new york was through search
0: cool what cool. a way to make an impression holy Hell cow yeah. man <laughs> <laughs> that's priceless right man wow that's dope so, um, mm-hmm. so, so when you got to New York, um, uh, what happened then? Like, did you, did you kind of slide into wild pitch immediately or did search help out with that or?
3: Like, well, you no, know, that was after, I mean, I it was, okay. uh, let me see, it was like 91 or 92 when I met search at the store. And so for the first year that we kind of worked together, I was up and back, I was back and forth between New York and South Carolina. I still oh, okay. kept my residence in South Carolina. And I would stay with search whenever I went up North. Gotcha. And, um, and so it was just more of like, kind of, um, it wasn't even so much working on beats up there yet. I think I was still just working on music here. I mean, I'm sorry, in the South. And then, um, what it was was when I was up North, it was merely just hanging with him and meeting people. Right. And he had an idea that he wanted me and his other guy named Riz, who I hadn't met at the time, the yep. DJ for him, he wanted to have two DJs. Right. So I was like, sure, I'm down for that. And so, That was the thing. Like he he had the "Here to Come" single, and the album was just about to drop. So it's like he was on a promo. Yeah, he was going to be doing promo runs. So he wanted us to DJ for him. So that was the whole first year or so. I was up there, was like DJing for him. Me and Riz, you know, and and that's when I first met Riz. And Riz was doing college radio with Wildman Steve on B A U. So that was that's a whole nother, you know angle of the whole story. Gotcha. Um, So it was just like going back and forth, and then and then probably like ninety two into ninety three, I'd say was when I finally like officially left South Carolina totally and moved to New York. Um, and then just started doing, you know, beats and just hanging with him. And I was just like right. flying the wall, just kinda of observing everywhere we go and, you know, meeting people, you know, to him, to him and to Riz. Cause obviously once I became cool with Riz, you know, uh, I, I got to meet a lot of people too, Stretch and Bob and, and, and dudes like that. Right. And that, you know, that was really like a big opening to me was you know, meeting Stretch and and having him believe in me enough to let me fill in for him. When he was going out of town,
1: sure, and so that
3: was how I kind of like got my name really going up in New York was by filling into him on his show.
1: Right
0: now, where were you guys recording uh, the 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 second search album? You remember what studio you guys were at?
3: Yeah, we were out in um um it was in Long Island. It was uh, a man uh, Peter Cooper Schmidt, who we used to call him PD Mix. Okay. Um I, I can't remember the, what his name of the studio was, but it was in Long Island. Okay. and um where search lived was was on the border of queens and long island so you know it was the closest studio to us and so we would uh we would record there um and, you know that's that's we would do all the beats pre-production in the house right you know, Search had it set up in the attic and right. um and and we would do all the beats there and then we'd go to the studio there everything down and and then Ray's would come and you know he, he would do most most of the cuts on the record
0: gotcha gotcha a- anything memorable from those sessions man i mean that was that, oh, i mean just
3: just just having fun i mean it was just yeah. like you know just being in the studio and that was like probably like you know my first official experience of like really being in a professional studio like you know and and, and laying stuff down and, and then right. that also you know we would record stuff there but then we also would uh we were doing stuff elsewhere as well like there was certain things like i remember search had to um he had to do a, a, a remix or an edit of Days in a Week, uh, so we went to Chung King and and did it there. So that was uh, like, my first time going to Chung King, and like this, you know, just meeting Kevin Reynolds, like the engineer, that like you know we did all the stuff. And you know, again, like this, these are all names that we only knew. I only knew from reading our records. You know what I mean? So right. it was just like just being able to like get into these places and, and, and see these people, and it was just crazy.
2: And uh, and the record was searched, and never came out right.
3: No, it never came out because what happened was it was it was you know we were working on it and what happened was after Search's record first record came out the Pete Nice record came out and what happened was the first single from the Pete Nice record was Rat Bastard and right. if people remember the video for that there's a whole opening scene where he basically you know clown Search uh-huh. and so Search so was just like was highly upset and so you know he went up to Death Jam. And was just like, you know, how are y'all going to let that happen? Like, cause they were both on Def Jam. Right. You know, he's like, how are you going to let us, you know, cause, cause search was like, I, you know, I, I took the, the higher road. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't say anything about Pete on my record. I didn't diss him. I didn't, you know, cause they had, you know, they had bad blood once so they broke up. So, you know, he's like, well, how, how are you going to let Pete, you know, like talk, talk shit about me, you know? So he, he wasn't really feeling death Jam at that time. And so things, the, the relationship really started going downhill after that. Um, and so he actually like, you know, got his out from the label and at that particular time, by well, this time now it's got to be like, you know, definitely like 93, 94 and, uh, things start to fall in his lap, i.e. Nas,
1: mm.
3: you know, he, right. he's, uh, he's, he's, he's working with T-Ray. So T-Ray, I think it was that hit him up and told him, yo, you got to come down to this session I'm doing. Um, and and hear these dudes and, or or no, I'm sorry. I'm confusing it. What happened was search was, uh, recording back to the grill. Uh, and, Um. and T Ray called Nas and Oconelli and Percy P to the, um, to the studio. And he got to hear them all. And search was impressed. And Percy P and Nas later verse, Oconelli didn't because Oconelli, I think at that time had a production deal with cold Chillin. So he wasn't going to be able to do anything outside of cold chilling um and so they laid those verses down percy p i forget what the story was that happened with percy p but his verse didn't make it and not only did his verse not make it but they ended up recording over it on the video oh, so, wow. so it's not even it's not even like a a, a copy of it anyway People it even doesn't hear. exist wow. um, yeah so uh That's you it. know oh, so anyway so 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 once once Search met Nas and he was very highly impressed. You know, Nas at that time had an offer from Big Beat Records to do a deal. And it was a small budget offer. Search was like, hold, don't sign the offer. Let me see what I can get for you. And so Search went out and got him the deal at Columbia.
1: Hmm.
3: Um, so like mm, four times the amount that he was going to get from Big Beat. Oh, um, wow. So, so that was, so that was going on all the while. This other stuff was going on with Def Jam, and so what happened was he started kind of like focusing more on you know the Nas stuff and like you know doing the business stuff, such like publishing, um, promotions and stuff like that. So we were kind of doing that all the while. We were trying to figure out what we were going to do with the second album, um, and then the Wild Pitch the stuff came into play '94. In okay. And what happened was that was like you know he got the he got the, the uh, a job there as like senior VP of the label. Um, and he definitely like mentioned my name to Stu Fine, and was like, "I have someone perfect, you know, that would be good to work up here." And so, you know, I met with Stu once, and Stu, you know, liked what uh, I had to say, and then uh, he, he called me back in for a second meeting, and that was it. You know, after the second cool. meeting, he was, you know, it was funny because like, I remember him in the second meeting saying to me, "He was like, you know, you don't seem like you really, you know, are like, um, uh, uh, what was the word he used He was like, you don't seem like you really uh, uh, care about this job, so to speak." <laughs> No, you know, I was just like, because I guess he's used to people like sweating him for stuff. Yeah, and I yeah, was just yeah. like, I was like, well, not, I was like, yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a calm, you know, realistic person. I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you the truth and everything. And so, and I definitely ain't him. on
2: your sack right now. So what, why are you sweating me?
3: <laughs> you just like the vibe, and so you know, after the second interview,
1: I got the gig. That's, that's I'm going to play,
0: I, I, gonna play this <laughs> section of the interview for my wife because about about so Eclipse about a year ago was it a year ago Meeks remember this story? What's that? So 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 Eclipse, I, I was I was interviewing for a new job about trying to find uh, a, yeah. trying to find a new gig about <laughs> right. I don't know what seven eight nine months ago now Meeks yeah something like that yeah and. Um, I actually ended up getting the job offer, but but the okay. fe- but the feedback for my HR interview was, you know, what I just really don't feel like he wants or you know is is interested in the job, and you know, my wife has always given me shit about how I look like an asshole all the time when I'm walking around, and that that's why that's why Meeks and I. That's, That's why Meeks and I get to get get along so well, because we pretty much have the same demeanor and look on our face at all times, which, you know, is, is not that we're pissed off. It's just that, you know, we're not generally just, you know, hopping around fucking excited about shit all the time, right? Yeah, it ain't right, no
2: shucking right. and jiving yeah. over here with us, man. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh we came to the party for one thing and one thing. <laughs> exactly, <and> right.
3: <laughs> so And you know so, gotta keep in mind it's like I wasn't looking for a retail job not, you know, a, a job at a label. I was I was doing music. Right. You know? right, so, right. It wasn't my it was just more or less like, okay, well, this will be a way for me to kind of like stay in the mix and, and you know, bring in some income and stuff like that. So yeah.
0: so what was the first project you, well, you were doing retail, but I mean, what what was the first big project you worked on there? Was it, was it, um, was it, the, was it well, OC you know, or, or it
3: was funny because when we first, when I first got in there, they were just on the tail end of promoting the UMC's uh, oh, yeah. second album. Okay. All uh, right. Unleashed. Yeah. And so they were just finishing up with that one. And then the next thing that we were getting ready for was main source, the main source, second okay. album that Mikey D was on instead of law professor. Right. Um, so that was like the next thing. And then there was a big fallout with main source and the label. Yeah, and they felt yeah. like they weren't being treated right. And so they left and then, so then we didn't have any big artists. Now we had, you know, all our new artists outside of the coup. The crew was the only ones that were really still left that were like, you know, had a big name. Everyone else was new acts that meme search brought into the fold. You know, OC, Jesse West, um uh TND, file Play, these were all uh C style, these were all acts that we kind of brought in and were grooming to be the next wave of wild pitch. But then after main source left. You know things to start looking bad between Wild Pitch and EMI, who's the parent company. Right. Um, So OC was like the last thing you know we put out another cool album, and we put out the OC album like around the same time, and those were like the last projects that we really were able to get out. So
0: so Eclipse, how how big a part, uh, big of a part were you for the OC sessions? Were you were you
2: there Um, all the time? Very small, very
3: small. I I was again like this was when I was kind of like you know fresh and new up in New York, so. Um, you know, I, I had known OC from Fudge Pudge, um, mm. and that was it. Like I didn't know, you know, anything else about him. And um, he was, he, I, I met him a couple times just searching him, and he was also like he'd be one of the dudes that would call in to KCR all the time and kick rhymes. Okay. So right. I you know, I I'd know, I'd know of him, but I didn't really know him, know him like that, and so when search was orchestrating, you know, all this stuff. Cause, cause search was working with OC before wild pitch you know, he was grooming him to, to, to go somewhere. They were still trying to get him a deal prior to us even being at wild pitch. So he was already in the mix oh, okay. with us back when like 93 or so, 92, okay. 93. Uh, and so, uh, I was just kind of like playing low key. And then, um, there was a couple of demos I ended up doing that he did get on, um, that actually have recently come out in the last couple of years on, on the ozone EPs that they put out, that O, o put out uh, with his manager. Okay. Um, there's some demos on there. There's some promos I did. Uh, well, a promo I did for a stretch and that, that O's rhyming on with search. So there's a few things I did during that time, but it, I, you know, it was, it was more or less like I didn't really know O it was more because I was working with search. So when, when the, when the, um, wild pitch sessions were happening, uh, i I would go to some of the sessions, but like I wasn't really part of any you know, i I didn't make anything happen I wasn't right. you know I was just there like a fly on the wall. I remember when they were doing times up, you know later doing the cuts, you know buckwhile on the track, and oh. like you know I would just go and hang and just be there to just to, to to soak up the the energy you know
2: man I was gonna ask you um regarding um the the search project that never came mm-hmm. out, and then you know mm-hmm. the fact that you were bringing acts and, and and groups to to wild pitch, grooming them and getting ready, getting them ready to to put out and everything. Have the random rap brokers um, been knocking on your door any for for some of this unreleased material that you might
3: be? Oh yeah, on? for sure, yeah, most definitely. I and mean, I, I've actually, I've been, I, you know, uh, put it like this, like for example. Um, foul play which is probably one of the, the, the more intriguing groups that we had on, on hold on wild pitch um, a lot a lot of interest in them and like people would email me and like you know like just like listeners you know or fans wherever email me and be like, like yo like you know I know you got the tapes you know would you be down to send them to me and I'd be like no like you know get away from me <laughs> and I would just blow them off and, and like some of these dudes are just so persistent and like would hit me up for like a year or two straight yeah. you know like yo I'm still want to know about the, the things and like so, I, like, one time, I actually um, I made a copy of some of the songs and sent it to some kid <clears throat> who really seemed like he really, really, really wanted it, you know. Um, but then, coincidentally, you know, several months later, I see vinyl come out on, like, the foul play demos. Son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> And so, I, you know, I don't know. I think I asked him about it and he claimed it wasn't him, but who knows if he made copies for anyone and gave them to friends and stuff like that. Right, so, right, right. You know, it kind of it kind of made me feel like, you know, it's like you try to help someone out and this is what happened. So right. I kind of like stopped, you know, like letting loose stuff that's in the vault. Right. Um, Certain things, you know, I mean, I, I still sprinkle things here and there, but like I, I, will, I'll, I won't give someone a full thing anymore because it's okay. just like I don't want it to end up like that again. Yeah
2: and 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 the wild pitch office I, it seems like i i i i've been in that office was it like up the block from fat beats
3: um, no, it no was it was um well let me see there was we were in two well, while I was there at ninety four and ninety five we were in two different locations we were mm-hmm. in, um the first one i think was twenty ninth street i want to say okay, and it was between seventh and eighth avenue, which is definitely not near fat beats okay Second location was closer. It was on 23rd Street um, between, I think it was 5th and 6th. Okay. So that one is, is it, that one's a little bit closer to Fat Beach. Fat Beach was 8th and 6th. This was 23rd and 6th. Okay. So it wasn't quite up the block, but it wasn't that far of a stretch.
2: Yeah. I, I just, it seemed like I, I was thinking about, um, you know, getting ready for the night and everything. And uh, I saw you had a, uh had just stand at wild pitch on here, and I I was just wondering. It's like I was like I seem like I went in that office and and dropped some of my own music off up in there. Did you really? Like that, yeah, <laughs> oh, in ninety five. Yeah, man. yeah. This was really? uh, yeah. This was before you know any of our vinyl came out, so we were. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, we've been up there. You know, I've been I've been in the nervous office. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. duck down Rockefeller. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. we, we <laughs> went up there
2: and made the rounds, kind of like how T Ray did, right? Went up there and, <laughs> right, and right. shopped around. I've yeah. done that, so it seemed like I I did show my face in the Wild Pitch office, but I I remember I kind of remember it being kind of close to to Fat Beats though and 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 maybe it was uh maybe it was a situation where we stopped in Fat Beats and and then went up you know to to the Wild Pitch office that was kind of close by something like that yeah yeah definitely uh, you kind of touched right? on you kind of touched on some of the stuff that you saw um I know when I saw Wild Pitch in the prep tonight I was going to ask you about uh you know the the kind of the downfall of of Main Source were you kind of um privy to any any of those activities or or did you kind of get in um, late on
1: that
3: yeah i mean there's you know i witnessed some stuff you know i mean there's, there's stuff that like uh, you know i'm not going to talk about um but there was basically there was just like a it was, there was a big fallout with main source and um and wild pitch and search was involved as well there was like stuff that was going on and they didn't like how search was handling things. And, and they were, they were reading into a lot of stuff that, that uh, wasn't happening. They were kind of like coming up with their own scenario, which wasn't true. And, you know, they, they wanted off the label. And so they, you know, they, they push came to show, they, they pushed their way off the label. And I guess they thought that they were going to like, you know, get a, get a deal somewhere real quick. And needless to say, nothing happened after that. Right, um, right. you know, so it was just like, yeah, it was, it was, it was just, it was unfortunate that, uh, the whole thing kind of like, you know, went down like that.
0: Okay. So, uh, clips, tell us a little bit about, um, uh, the, the born delivery mix, because that's actually, I, I know there are very few uh very few few of those uh pressed up actually test presses and that's actually one right. of my more prized uh uh, uh test pressings uh actually I, somehow I don't mm-hmm. know how but I I managed to find one uh and, right. and, I, and I I believe it was in um uh I believe it was in the college uh, the college radio closet uh that, sure, <laughs> that
3: that's actually, the best place to find it yeah exactly
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh <laughs> and even kind of more interesting was um uh, and, and somehow I missed this when it came out, but I saw a post where you, um, you, you actually put up the original remix and there was kind of a story behind uh, kind, of, right. how, kind of how you had to go in and manually uh, speed yeah. up everything. What what was uh, the deal with the that?
3: Tempo, change the yeah. Tempo. yeah. Yeah. What happened was, because um, it, it, there's two on the album, there's two versions of going to live. There's the video version. And then there's the organized confusion version, which is faster. And so it's a totally different, different recording of the, you know, totally different version of the song. And so what happened was when I, um, when I went in to, to do my remix of it, um, they sent me the, they sent me in with the wrong reel. So they sent me in with the organized confusion reel where I had already matched everything up to the other version of it. So when I get to the studio to power play and I'm like, why isn't this matching? And then I finally realized that it was a long version of the song. Wow. And so that one was faster. So I had to sit there and like, you know, change all the pitches and shift everything on the samples and speed everything right. up. Um, so it was just like, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me, especially because uh, I was using uh, the Akai S950 right. to sample. And I was using my Mac SE, which is like the first Mac computer ever made to sequence. I was using Performer on the computer, yeah. so it was like I'd have to bring down the whole computer to the studio and everything like that. And it was like you know, it wasn't like I was—I <laughs> didn't have a you know SP12 or you know an MPC or anything like that. So it was like you know, yeah. I was kind of like what I was using was 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 not the normal. So it was, I was already like you know. Making it harder for the engineers to hook up. <laughs> and now here it is guys, the stuff wasn't even syncing. I just sit there and like shift everything up, and it was just a pain in the ass to do it all.
0: Now, now it, it, it said in the the, uh, the the post that I saw that you actually flew the vocals into a sampler, like an S1000 or something, right? At so home. You,
3: yeah. yeah. At home, that's, that's how I would do my, uh, my pre pro mixes. I, would, I had a Akai a S1000 okay. sampler, which is actually with searches. Right. Um, and what I would do is I would sample all vocals into that. And do all the music on the 950, um, and then I would make the mixes, and then I would play them for people, and that's how basically I did. That's how I did the Times Up remix, and the um, the Born Alive remix, and okay. the Entice remix that you know all came out on a wild pitch. I mean, I would uh. just take the acapellas before you know I would, I would have the bats you know from the studio. So before these records even pressed, I take them home and see if I can up or anything. And so it just it just so happened that you know I hit you know three to three. You know I, I played them Times Up, right. well, they loved it. I played them. Want to live they loved it and i played them an entire record and they loved it nice. um yeah. and so they you know that's when i had to go in the studio to to redo stuff um to make it you know quality enough to be to put out so yeah great
0: records man great 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 records <laughs> absolutely so uh so, so how, how did you transition out of uh out of wild pitch like what what um and in, in kind of your, your your next kind of stint was um was Fat Beats more or less after Wild yeah, Pitch?
3: Yeah, yeah. Because basically, when you know, Fat, uh, Wild Pitch closed the summer of '95, like either June and July, and um, at, by this time, you know, me and Search had been there like you know a year and a half or so, two years, and you know, we didn't look like we were. He was going to be doing another you know, solo record deal. You know, he was more a businessman at this point, right? Um, and so after wow clothes my first thought was like okay I need to get a job you know obviously I had unemployment coming in for a while but I was like eventually I'm going to need to find another gig and at this point I had already made a ton of friends at record labels so you know I just kind of thought I was going to float into another label somewhere um, mm-hmm. So, but what happened was Fat Beats had opened up in 94 and I always remember Fat Beats from day one because it's the only store that ever did this Joe, who owns the store, faxed all record labels a uh, Flyer, saying, you know, the only hip hop store in New York, come on down to Fat Beats, graffiti, you know, B Boyin, you know, MCs, DJs, you know, nothing but hip hop, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Faxed
3: it. Faxed the <laughs> label. So I saw it and I was like, Oh, this is you know, this is, you know, we should go check this out. I thought I said to search because it had a grand opening. And I was like, you know, let's go check it out. So we went down there for the grand opening, and you know, and they and they didn't have any records on the wall. They had, um, they were painting the walls. They had graffiti, you know, being done on all the walls, and they had DJ spinning records. Um, and I just like you know. I I like the vibe, you know, because because Joe was right. It was the only place in New York that was a hip hop record store. There was every other store in New York had hip hop sections, but there was right. never a hip hop store. Yeah, and so once he was up and running. Um, I would go there to buy my music. You know, I would go there and I I I throw my money to him because I wanted to support his store. And you know, I, I it was and it was it was just dope to go in there and just like see all the, <clears throat> the hip hop releases. And you know, I think you know OC might have been the first in store he did there. Um, so I would bring artists through, and then like uh, we had you know uh, artifacts we brought through there because we were all like a, a tight knit community. Right. I had friends. My man Scribble um, was working at uh, Big Beat. Uh, my man Al Lindstrom was over at Palace so right. it's like you know we had we we had like uh, we would we, we, be on the road together you know it's like you know Artifacts No we would be doing shows together and so we always be b- bumping into each other so it was like you know we all we always and we always meet up for lunch so it was kind of like a thing where we had a lot of the same artists like we keep in the same circles and so I, I'd help him out by trying to throw him some more in stores and stuff like that right. and so I ended up like after the first year of doing that you know, one day he came up to me after I left uh, Wild Pitch. He was like, Look, he's like, You know, this story is really starting to take off now. He's like, You know, would you be willing to come in here and, and, and work the weekends and give me a break? Because he was working seven days a week. Uh, and I was like, Sure, no problem. You know, it's like, I'll do this temporarily until I get another gig. And so I started working on the weekends. And one thing led to another and business picked up. And next thing you know, I was working Monday through Friday. And then next thing you know, it's just like, you know, boom, like the store was just like, it was popping, you know, it was like, it was between the, it was between the promotion that he was doing, um, rock steady anniversary that year, which I guess was, yeah, it was 95 or 96, but, uh, whatever year it was, um, he was out there promoting hard. And then also just the mentions that um, we would get every week on Stretch and Barbito. All of that brought clientele into the store. And so I stayed. It was just like there was no reason to go anywhere else. It was like, you know, business was good enough. I was making money. And then a year into it, um, we were were ready to expand. You know, we moved the store to a bigger location. We opened up the distribution. We opened up a store in LA. We opened up a store in Amsterdam. Like all this happened within like a, a five to six month radius. Yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, even had a story in Atlanta yeah, for a little while. Too, Atlanta, right. Atlanta was a little bit later, but all, yeah. all these other ones happened like in 96, like right, from like right, right, August right. to like December of 96, right. all these other stores opened. Right, okay. right, right.
0: Now, did you know Joe Pryor Eclipse or no?
3: No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. All right. Nope.
0: That's a whole nother story in and of itself. I'd love to have that guy on the show.
2: <laughs> That'd be a great yeah. show. Hell Yeah.
0: So, um, so, so, so this is also where you ended up running. Well, no, you you ran into all the nonfiction cats via search, right? But, but, but yeah, but we'd doing well,
3: nonfiction or? prior to Wild Pitch. You know, when Wild Pitch ended, we were like nonfiction was already formed and working on demos.
0: Yeah, I can't remember when it was in my brain that I figured out that I needed to call Fat Beats for all my records because I'm I'm from Kentucky originally, Eclipse. So uh-huh. you know I, I was I was I was having to go to I yeah. was having massive problems. So like and I, I was from the middle of fucking nowhere, Kentucky, right? So I had to go to Nashville right. or Louisville or Cincinnati or wherever it may be to get records. And in the meantime, you know I'd call upstairs or I'd call Rockets. I you know I was just calling all the New York record stores, and I can't remember when. Right. Was that I figured out? Oh, okay. I, I need to be calling fat beats for hip hop shit because they got they've got every you know everything I want now. And you know when when I hit right. co- when I hit college radio, you know that that became a a touch easier w- w- with the exception that the radio station was actually on only a hundred watts. So trying to convince <laughs> to, to trying to trying to convince somebody to send you some promos when you know you're not reporting you to not. anyone but CMJ is is kind of a tough road, but. Man, I will never ever forget. And I, I think somebody played it played it for me over the phone. But I specifically remember getting that first nonfiction twelve inch over. The, uh, somebody played it for me over the phone from Fat Beats, and I was like, "What mm-hmm. the fuck is that? Send that shit to me right now, man!" Right? Like, what an incredible well, record that was, man. Yeah. That,
3: that was our first. Um, you know, I mean, that the first nonfiction record is also it's the second Fat Beats release but it's the first like big staff beach release. Cause the first one was Rob Swift and the Cracker Jacks and it was a great record, but the second yeah. record, just being that search was on it, you know, it was like, it just opened up a whole new world, especially because me and search had, you know, promotional background from wild pitch. So what, what, what we did with that first record was, I think we went to like, I think it was Gavin or whatever convention it was. Yeah. And we, we, we took, you know, Five hundred promos, and you know, passed out flyers, and like you know, we were we were marketing and promoting the record, and so you know, we we got the name out there for Fat Beats, and we got the name out there for Nonfiction. Dope, dope.
0: So, why did why did Search end up kind of stepping away from nonfiction as an artist? Was there a r- reasoning for that, or
3: well, he you know, he the same reason why I'm stopping radio. You know, he had okay. uh, over the course of time, he ended up having three kids. Uh, you know so you. it's okay. like he had he had three kids back then you know what i'm saying so it's like <laughs> yeah. you know um it, it, you know it's, it's 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 time consuming you know and there's there's there's, there's needs that not as, as a group we have for him to be part of you know the same way there's needs his family has for him to be there at the house sure, right. sure, so it just yeah. got to a point where it's like it was frustrating you know for the group to to not have him there for like for, for events and for whatever it needs to be and so we kind of came to the conclusion of like look like if you can't do this full time then you know you should probably that back and just do right. you you know what I'm saying right, right. I think we all kind of agreed on that and that would be the best thing and uh, you know that's how it was it was, it was a little bit of tension you know at first at the time because you know, I mean, you know a lot of people in the group were young and like right. you know didn't quite understand that element of family life and having kids and stuff like that. So it's like, as far as to understand why someone's not going to commit the way you're going to commit, um, you know, which is also kind of like why nonfiction ended up breaking up in the end anyway, it was because, you know, being an independent group, everyone has to pull their own weight. And when you have, you know, four wheels and only like two are working or three are working, it's like the car is not going anywhere. Right. Right.
0: Now, did you think nonfiction would turn into what it turned into? Like at the beginning, from like kind of a, uh, for lack of a better term, like a from a cult kind of status standpoint, or did you have any idea how impactful the group would be?
3: Not really. Not aside from just making music we loved. You know, that was that was that was it. You know, we were all of us in the group were diehard radio listeners. You know, what I'm saying like we'd be tuned into Stretch and Bob every week, and so it's like we're just making music that we want to hear played there. You know, what I'm saying we want we want to make music that we feel is as good as, if not better. And what they're playing, and so <clears throat> that's what we did. We just made you know good music that we thought was good, and, and you know, obviously, it's like we wanted to work with people that we were fans of, and so that's what led us to work with like Premier and Deepak and Large right. Pro and the Beatnuts, and you know, and, and so it's like we just yeah, I mean, it ended, it ended up being a crazy album, you know. So so, so we with... also had to- we also had time to make it, which is something that people don't do nowadays. I mean, we, yeah, that's we, very true. About it, we started recording in '95, and you know, the first probably dozen songs we did aren't on the album. You know, a lot of those early 12 inches, like I Shot Reagan, The to Lose, um, uh, 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 Five Burrows, Four W's, No Tomorrow, Legacy none of those songs are on the album. So it's like we, we took our time molding nonfiction to where we felt we were ready to put out an album. And so, you know, seven years later, 2002, we finally put out. The finished piece of work, and I think that's also what helped us make a classic for our genre because we had the time to do that. You know, nowadays everyone wants to get something out every three or four months, which is like crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's not sustainable at all, at all. And, and yeah. yeah, So, um, so 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 the the kind of success of nonfiction is what uh eventually kind of provided for your transition out of fat beats, right? Over over to Uncle uh, yeah. Howie and.
3: I was, yeah, I was there. I was at Fat Beats from 95, I think it was like 2002, uh, right when the album came out. And then um, I decided that it was going to be time to like focus more on the group and touring and stuff like that. And so I, I I basically left. And what happened was over the next, you know, every year, basically the next several years, I always get calls from Fat Beats like, yo, like, you know, can you can you come back? And I'm like, no, I can't oh, come world? back because, <laughs> okay. you know, yeah, because I'm like, I can't I can't come in. You know, I still have to you know to go on the road. I still have to you know. So yeah. well, that happened the first year. You know, that happened 2003. That happened 2004. Finally, like in 2005, you know, they were like, um, all right, look, this is the deal. Like, come back and work when you can, and when you have to go on the road, go on the road. I'm like, that sounds good. All right. <laughs> And man so good that, people are hard to did. find right <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's, yeah. I, I did that I, I based my operations out of fat beats and you know whenever i had the tour i just make sure the store was straight and I'd, I'd actually do a lot of work from the road you know for the store um you know but i just, just need to make sure i was able to have that freedom to concentrate on the on the artist side of things as well yeah that's dope yeah and so, i stayed so, there until the store closed in 2010
0: yeah, are you doing any work on the distribution side or anything like that uh, with them still? Eclipse, no,
3: or no, they, okay. uh, you know, they had offered me a few times to go over there, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know. I mean, I, I was actually based out of the distribution um, for a while, but okay. while overseeing all the stores, um, you know, because once we had Atlanta, LA, uh, Amsterdam, New York, uh, I was like the district manager over all the stores, and so oh. I'd work out of the warehouse and just deal with all the stores. Um, but then eventually, you know, I needed to go back to the store to kind of like be hands on because the New York store, it's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's like, it's, um, it's not everyone's cut from the same cloth, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and some people might have great skills in, in this department, but not in that department. And right. me just being who I was with the connections, as well as just being very responsible and very orderly and stuff like that. Like anyone that knows me personally knows like, I'm like, you know, I'm like crazy anal when it comes to like having things perfect. Right. And so it's hard to kind of like live up to my standards. And so it, it, it makes it harder for, for bosses who are used to me working a certain way to then put someone else in my place and have someone else not live up to how I work. Right. And right. So I think that was ultimately why I had to go back there was just because, you know, I had to do it the way I had to do it. And I think that's also, you know, a lot of people never even realized that, the store wasn't mine because they saw what I put into it, and they always just assumed it was my store. And it's like, no, it wasn't my right. store, but I cared about it. I right. cared about the store. I wanted to see it excel. It's all you know? the
2: difference in the world. It
3: wasn't just a job. Yeah, Yeah. Yep.
0: So you're doing radio in the meantime while well, all this all this other stuff is going on, right? So halftime's yep. running, and then you eventually—how'd you end up landing on Sirius?
3: Um, Sirius was. I, uh, Premier, Premier was already had his show <clears throat> live from headquarters. And, um, he hit me up one day and was like, look, he's like, um, I don't know who else I can ask. He's like, because you're the only person that comes to mind. He's like, I need someone to fill in for me on my show because I'm going to be going out on tour. He's like, I know, you know, you do radio. He's like, I know, you know, I know what you play. He's like, I, I, you're the only one I can think of that would be good to hold this down. So I was like, of course, you know, and so I started filling in for him. And so the more he went on tour, the more I filled in for him. And the person that was overseeing the station already knew me and was a fan of me on halftime on NYU. And, uh, after seeing me in, in, in his environment on, on Sirius, you know, he was like, would you like your own show up here? And I was like, sure. And so they offered me the Sunday slot and, uh, I started doing the show and then it was funny because the show only lasted. Oh, actually what's really funny. And, and it is this, when they offered? When they finally offered me the show, it was the week I had to leave for a two-month tour. Hmm. So uh. I had, and the, and the show wasn't live in the beginning; it was pre-recorded. So I had to, I had, I had my equipment with me because we took it on tour with us. So every week, you know, like one, at one after one show, I'd have to bring my equipment into the hotel, set it up in the hotel, and then do pre-record my mix while on tour. And then I'd have to the next morning. I'd have to uh, on tour. We, we're always there's never any time, you know. What I'm saying you're always driving somewhere. So right. yeah. what I would have to do is I'd be editing the mix on my computer while we're driving. And then once I had it edited, I tell you know I tell the driver to pull over to a to a you know a hotel. We'd pull up into like a Holiday Inn parking lot right outside the doors. I'd pick up the Wi-Fi signal. And then I would I would <laughs> upload the mix to, to them and send it to them, and and it was like it was a crapshoot because certain hotels had yeah. horrible internet. Yeah. Sometimes I'd have to actually run into the hotel and sit in their lobby yeah. and like and you know and back then too it's like you know it was, the internet wasn't as as uh, fast it was right, so right. sometimes I'd sit there for a half hour like uploading like you know a mix. <laughs> sometimes I luck out and it would take like five minutes if I like, yeah. had a really crazy internet sh- uh, thing there. Yeah. So <laughs> I do that for two months and then it's like as soon as I get back. Um, well, shortly after I got back is when Sirius and Xm merged, and when they merged, mm. they got rid of a lot of shows and they got really? rid of the people that were in charge of the serious stations they 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 moved them somewhere else, and they put the x m people in charge and so they got rid of all the serious shows, brought in all the x m shows and changed stuff and so i was I was back not doing serious and then what happened was they tried that for like i think it was like five or six months they tried it and it didn't do well they, they their, their ratings are going down they took the xn people out put the serious people back in and then the serious people reinstated all the shows that they had <laughs> oh, i came back on crazy. and i've been on there ever since so it's been like seven or eight years now that i've been doing my show up there
0: yeah i think i remember when that happened when they were kind of shuffling things around, trying to figure out what was going to work mm-hmm. and what wasn't, it was kind of a mess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: I think, I think they got rid of, they got rid of backspin. They got rid of backspin. Yeah. Uh, okay. During that time. And like, you know, people like, well, are you crazy? You got to get rid of an old school show. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, right. School <laughs> wow. Like yeah. So,
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Ew. So you, you still, uh, you still managing folks any, uh, uh, Eclipse yeah. doing the management gig? That's pretty much gig, like
3: or? my day to day. I mean, it is. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I, I I uh two, three years ago or maybe yeah, about maybe three or four years ago, I started um uh, Pay to Win, you know, my own management company because really it's what I've been doing all along anyway, just just hadn't been doing it officially. It's like I managed all the groups I was in, I road managed, tour managed. I was always the one that was doing handling all the business. Um, even with Uncle Holly Records, when when me and Bill were doing it, you know, pretty much I was doing most of the business end of it. Um, and so I was like, you know what? It's time for me to start focusing on that because you know, as you get older, you, you do have to start sure. figuring out different angles and channels of like, you know, what you want to do. Yeah. And so what I did was I started that and I, you know, I, I officially managed, you know, now nonfiction again, and, you know, LaCocca Nostra and, um, Cunique's Narseness, uh, Rashi Chappelle, OC and AG from BITC. Um, um uh, just started managing the Legion. Um, so you know wow. a bunch of you know old acts, new acts, some, you know just people that I feel are good.
2: Is that something that that comes natural to
3: you or for you? For me, um, it is. Yeah, okay. because it's just because of I've always worked somehow, you know, managing something. You know, even when I was, you know, when I was in South Carolina, and I was working at a record store. I was I was managing the the, the rap department. You know, what I'm saying like I, I was the one that was responsible for like bringing in the titles and like telling Mike the the, the boss what to order. You know, then when I went up, went up to New York and, you know, I was director of retail promotions at Wild Pitch. Then when I was a Beast, I was managing the store. So it's like I've always been the responsible one to kind of hold things down. So my life has just led me to that, to like, you know, being good at it, you know.
1: Okay.
0: So, Clip, speaking of uh, OG and, a- and AG. What's uh what what's going on over DITC Studios, man? Like we end up playing like a joint or two a week from those guys now. They're on fire They're right now.
3: Crazy records! Wow. I can't believe like, how much stuff is dropping.
2: Man,
3: What got into them, man? Like what's just,
0: what what's, what's the background there? Like what's what, what is is it all because of the studio or did everybody just kind of well, get together and be like, thing. it's a combination
3: of okay. Because they, they you know DITC um had been pretty dormant as a crew for a while. You know and and which you can expect when you have that many people involved in an organization. It's always hard to get a group together when you have like six, seven, eight people in the group. You know everyone's doing their own thing you know, everyone has different visions, and so it takes a longer time to get stuff together and <clears throat> what happened was show's always been busy, show's always been producing you know show when when premier had um headquarters studio, show had his studio in headquarters. And then what happened was, like last year, um, the building got sold, and so Premier had to move headquarters out of where D&D right. was. Right, he moved to Queens and or something, show right? I believe as well. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. didn't didn't Primo move his studio to 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 like a complex in Queens or something? Or
3: uh, yeah, he, okay, he's in Long Island City now. Okay, Long Island. City. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so once he moved over there, I guess show decided he wanted to open up something in the Bronx, and so Jazzy Jay actually put the studio together for him. It's a real nice spot up in the Bronx. And, um, you know, they have a couple different rooms. They have a video editing room. And he's, he's like, he's got this vision. It's, it's not just about recording, but it's also about like, you know, he's doing events there. Every Wednesday, they do this BPM showcase where they bring in uh, multiple producers. and yeah, do a I beat saw that. Showcase.
1: dope.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And so I think all this momentum... And and also, you know, Fat Joe is kind of back around now. I think the Fat Joe been down south a while. like he's back in New York, and right. and so I think he played a big part in kind of like getting everyone gung ho again together. And um, they just started meeting up and like you know and started recording joints. And they've been releasing. He's been trying to release. shows, been trying to put one out a week.
1: Nice.
3: So they pretty much have been doing that. You yeah, know, they've been most been of them DITC stuff, but yeah. you know, some some are like DITC affiliates. But they just drop what yeah. it it's, it's it's like it's already an album's worth of material out there, and it's just like I, I don't know which one to play because they're all dope.
0: <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, I, I think there was a show uh, a week or two ago where we actually played two joints. I, you know, I was I, I don't care because they're all heaters, man. Like I haven't sure, heard sure. I haven't heard a piss poor one yet. Like not even mediocre, yeah. which mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, you probably won't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. No. That's wild, man. Yeah, I, I'm you. glad to see that, man, and I, I'm glad to see him kind of trying, you know, like giving back too with like the, the, the BPM, like you know, trying to put the young producers yeah. on and kind of give them feedback. Yep, that's real for cool, sure. man. I like that.
3: Yeah, yeah. He's got, like I said, he's got this new energy and vision, and you know, they just launched the the, the, the merchandising, you know, so it's like they have the the, the hoodies and the shirts now. So and he's really, you know, they're really trying to rebrand it and um and 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 get it going again. I think we're gonna get some really good stuff coming from them. Yeah. Okay, that's
2: what's
0: up. So, so Eclipse, real quick, one question I wanted to ask you: We we actually had some of the home team up in uh, up at the studio for Rappers Out of Control a couple of weeks ago. Yamin and Book Brown from yeah. uh, from, mm-hmm. from 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 Atlanta were in the house. How how did that how did that show go? I know they were real excited really excited to be to be in the house. That was cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. I
3: mean, Book, you know, I, I I didn't know Yamin prior to that. Um, Book I had up on my um, halftime show already once before. Okay, oh, you it's did. And funny okay. because the actual night that she came up to that show. Everyone that was up on the show that night, we all ended up going out to a diner after the show. So that's that's when you really get to like bonding people right. some food. And so, you know, when uh my man DJ Soko told me she was gonna be in town and, and asked on behalf of her if she could come by the show, I was like, Yeah, sure, no problem. Um, and then she brought up Yahmin and that was my first time really hearing anything from him. But I mean, cool, brother, and um, you know, yeah. I like some of the stuff he was he, he was hitting me with. Um yeah. and, you know, and that's that's you know, it, that's that's what the show's about. The show's about you know playing records from d i t c who's established but also playing records from bookbound and you know yeah you know i mean newer, uh, like newer up-and-coming people you know? yeah absolutely right
0: you, you see yourself uh sticking with uh sticking with rappers out of control for for the next little bit uh clips
3: yeah for sure i mean I'm not okay. trying to get out of radio altogether it's just like I just need to um you know cut back i mean you know my thing is going back to what the beginning of the conversation was kids you know I and mean, I have a four and a half year old and I have a five month old So for me, it's like, you know, having kids at this, at this point in my life, you know, it's like, it's definitely a lot harder than if I was 20, you know? So it's like, it's, it's, it's hard to juggle the family life, you know, and, and trying to get business done. And so I had to start like looking at what I do that, um, that I do for fun, you know? And it's just like, you know, I do the halftime show for fun for 18 years. I've done it for fun, you know? So it's like, it's like, you know, look at that, like, you know, as much as, as it was my baby. It's it's been 18 years. It's time for it to move out the house. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, let let me close it and let it be part of history now. And let me just keep wrapping up control going. since that's the newer, you know, of the two and it's like, you know, it's just, um, there's things I'll miss for sure about halftime, you know, I mean, even though both shows are very similar. Um, I had an extra half hour on halftime and I had, um, not more control, but more, um, with, with serious it, it, it's a little bit more of a formula where right. it's a mixed show and so they want to make sure you're not talking too much so it's like oh, they want all the mic breaks to be like five to six minutes long
1: okay. oh okay, okay. whereas
3: whereas on halftime i could have a conversation like this you know what i'm saying so yeah, now right. it's great and just talk straight up you know history um you know so I'll, I'll miss that part of it you know but it's like whatever i'm not going to snagle that you know another way i'm serious but um you know, it's, it's other than that. Though I'm still, I'm still playing the same record I want to play. You know, it's so, like I'm still have the outlet to be able to, to, to to push people, and that's again, that's really what you know. What my life has been has been. It's funny because my name, for whatever value it has, is based on my contributions to everyone else. You know, it's right, like very much oh, so. bad beats and and radio and you know rock steady and it's like all these other things. I've always pushed everyone else and i've been the backbone and that's helped me but i think it's also kind of hurt me a little bit because i've never pushed myself forward it's right. always pushing these other elements forward and i've i've um blossomed along with it but i've never put myself in the forefront you know what I'm saying and it's like i never really had the time it's like i was always busy pushing nonfiction and pushing uncle howie and pushing <laughs> right. and pushing radio right. and box. you know right. and so it's like you know that's but that's what i'm good at i'm good at you know being i, I have a vision of how I like things to, to go because I know how I like to hear things. I know how, I know how I would like to see a show. So when we plan, you know, rocksteady anniversaries, I you know I, my input is like how I want to see it. You know, so for example, right. last year, you know, we booked um we uh, you know my man Sad booked Kane, the guy we got Kane for headlining. I'm like great. I was like, all right, so this is what I want to do. I want to see if uh, I know Mast Ace has uh, the new EMC album coming out. Um, so I'm pretty sure we can get EMC to perform. Craig G is always around. Mm-hmm. I know we can get Craig to come through. Let me see. if Let me reach out to G rap. See if I can get G to come through. I want to see the symphony on stage at central park, summer stage in front of 6,500 people. <laughs> right. And so that's, that's what I did. I reached out to everyone. We, we confirmed everyone. And it's like, and it's monumental when you're in the crowd and you know, you, obviously you, you know, Kane's going to perform the symphony. And you see Mass Ace come out, and it's like, okay, you know, you expect that because he already performed yeah. early in the day. And then you see Craig G come out, and you're like, oh, cool, Craig's here, that's cool. Yeah. And then you see G Rap come out, and you're like, oh. what the fuck? I've never <laughs> seen them all together. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's it's a. I want to be part of things that are monumental. I don't, I don't want to do just regular shit. I want all my shit. I don't want. I don't want to DJ at a club, just a DJ at a club. I want to do events that are like that. That that mean something that you think back on and be like, I remember that event. I remember, you know, everything I did at Tramps was monumental. You know, Wetlands, these are venues that were like historic for our scene. Yeah. And I was like the in-house DJ for most of these things. It's like, I want to be part of, I want to be part of the movement. You know, I don't want to just be like, uh, a, a DJ taking requests yeah. playing record at a club. You know what I'm saying?
2: Nah, that sounds like you in the business of of completely pushing people's wigs all the way back. Yo, that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's, not a, that's not a bad spot to be in, man. I Absolutely. salute you for real.
0: So, so Eclipse, what's your what's, yeah, your, what's no your focus? Uh, what's your focus the rest of the year then? So you pay to win management, uh, obviously rap is out of yeah. control. Like what else is mm-hmm. on the horizon? Anything that you can talk well, about I mean, right basically, now? Or?
3: Basically everything I've been saying. Like you know we're okay. we're, we're planning. Um, you and my man, Sab. Um, are planning the Rocksteady anniversary. You know going over groups right now, trying to get that ready for the end of July. You know that that thing takes like a good nine months preparation. Um, we're, let's see, we're finishing up the La Coca Nostra new record, which we're hoping is going to be out this summer. Oh, are you guys putting um, that out yourself
0: or did you shop that or what's the, what's the deal? Well, label put, most with of that? our stuff we put out with Fappy's. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, that, so
3: right. that's, uh, that'll be coming out with Fappy's. So that'll we're be out before on, the um, end of the year or do,
0: uh, the La Cocca Nostra will summertime.
3: be out? We're, we're looking okay. at summer probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And there's an there's a Ill Bill NEMS EP that's coming. in. Oh. there's um okay an ill bill solo album he's working on you know nonfiction. we're still kind of like trying to do some some shows and some, some touring we're talking about you know recording but we haven't got there yet um you know the other acts i manage uh q unique is working on new music he also has a um, another group called king's bounty which is like rock back influence type stuff which is oh, crazy okay. on the level uh, right. My man Rashid Chappelle who, who dropped an album like Four yeah. years ago, was finally putting out his sophomore album, Blue, oh, good. Had, that's coming out this year. Um, so, you know, a lot of the same, just 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 different, you know, different time frame, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's all The Legion's dropping a new album late summer. Um, OC is finishing up his album. His, he's finishing up his solo album as well as he has an album with Apathy coming out. Um,
0: oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. This year. Perestroika, yeah. right? Isn't that um, the
3: name of that? Yep. There you go. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Dope, um, yeah. so I mean, everyone's busy you know. everyone's busy and, and again I think it, my job is to like be in the background and, and orchestrate pull all the strings and try to make make it make everything pop as, as best as we can in today's climate you
2: know dope well yo if we can do any, ever do anything for you or your artists man just reach out to us man let yeah, them know absolutely. Uh, let them know they got a home here we'll you know we'll play records uh, we'll interview no them um, pump up the music as much as we can man that's what we're here for much appreciated. Yeah, man. Absolutely.
0: And Eclipse, man, thank you for mm-hmm. calling on time. It's kind of funny. You called right on the dot <laughs> at 930. I love it. <laughs> and and we, we actually interviewed Skiz about, what, a month ago now? Yeah. And he called
1: right uh, at the dot on nine thirty. Yeah, so man, I, you know, funny. you're, yeah. you're so uh, he's learned from the
3: best of us. Exactly right. That's what
0: that's, that's what I'm saying. And I knew tonight. I was like, I was like, Skiz called right on time at nine thirty. I was like, Eclipse is going to call yeah. at nine thirty. I know it. And I'm fucked up right yeah. now because I'm pulling a splinter out of my son, out, of, out of my son's thumb. <laughs> That's dope,
2: dope, dope,
3: dope. No, it's all good. Like yeah. I said, I mean, it, it. You know, I I care about. Um, you know, the procedure of, of, you know, how things are run. And so it means, yeah. you know, being on time means a lot to me, you
0: know? Yeah. Okay. We, we really appreciate that. Definitely, actually, man. I I don't have to tell you anything. Okay. You can, you can imagine how many, uh, uh, nights we've been sitting around waiting for, you know, folks to, you know, yeah. call or uh-huh. cancel or whatever, you know? So, um, anywho, th- okay. thank you, man. We, we, we really appreciate you taking the time out to sit down and talk. No, with I, us, I so. appreciate
3: you guys having me. You know, yeah, saying, man. Absolutely. Anytime.
0: So uh, hang tight with us, Eclipse. We're going to wrap this up. We'd like to get a drop from you real quick if you don't mind. So we're going to wrap up here. This is Southern Vanguard (laughs) Radio. Hey, man. Hey, look. There's so many jewels and gems and history and
2: info in this. Man. Wow. Sunday nights are cool, but I got to say this is one hell of a Tuesday night. It was one hell
0: of a Tuesday night. Absolutely. Love it. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Southern Vanguard Radio on SoundCloud, MixCloud, Stitcher Radio, iTunes. Mm-hmm. Tuesdays and Thursdays It's the best way to start your Tuesday and Thursday mornings and fill in, you know, in those other days as well. No so doubt. stay tuned. DJ John Doe. Cappuccino Meeks. And we're out of here. Peace. Peace.